Hi, this is Donna Otto, and we are Modern Homemakers. And do you miss me as much as I miss you when we're not together all the time? Well, these are unusual days and unusual times, aren't they? And our culture is offering us wonderful but unusual ways in handling the pandemic. So we're, I think, handling it quite well. I want to say that to all of you. I'm reading the stories and listening to some accounts. I'm listening to people on air and in ministries, and I think we are doing a good job. Well done. I know that our shows have been inconsistent, and we've been talking to people about how they're handling their ministries, and for those folks who are especially engaged in hands-on, visual, showing up, being the presenter at an event and function, they've had even more difficulty. I have a few dates that we've canceled and a couple in the fall that we're looking at we may have to cancel in the fall. However, the podcast work is just one of making certain that everybody is safe and healthy and in studio and some of the shows we did in the early part, if you've heard some of the bad audio, that's because we were doing it from one cell phone to another cell phone through a computer with a microphone. We're pretty clever girls around here. So thank you. Thank you for joining us and for enduring these times. I've been thinking about so many things with regard to all of you. Thank you for your engagement with me about introducing your friends to me. We do want to know your friends, and thank you. I still have a few books left, and that may mean that you haven't invited everyone you know yet. And I've been sending those books to places all around the country, and one of them I sent out of the country. So thank you very much for engaging with that. Because of that, I have decided that in the month of August, I'm going to introduce you to some of my friends. Aren't friends a wonderful thing? And we recently talked about friendship, and we're going to talk about friendship again. But I'm going to introduce you to a few of my closest friends, and maybe a couple of my not-so-close friends, and we'll talk about whatever they want to talk about. But I think one of the reasons why you introduced me to your friends was because you value what I have to say and how I say it. And I want you to know that I value your joining us I'm grateful for it. I'll be glad to know when people stop listening and I'll stop speaking. But right now, we are grateful for your letting us know you're out there. Remember, we are a 501c3 organization. And even in these trying times of your economics, if God calls you to make a donation, please go to our singing and dancing website and push the button give and we'll be grateful to receive your gift. Now, I say that just as I want to say to you that in the next few weeks, we're going to talk about this vulgar, awful, idle, needed commodity of money. Money. Do you have too little right now? Are you one of the statistics that are unemployed? I heard just today that over 3 million people are unemployed 
in our country. With 330 million people in our country, well, that seems like a small number, and yet it's a grand number. It is a huge number. And it's a number that if you take each one of those numbers and add to it, how many people are hinged and connected to that unemployed person and what does that mean in their lives? Some of us losing employment um, is not as net negative as it is for others. So why talk about money then, Donna? Well, I think why talk about money is because there are some things that I want to remind you about with regard to money. Uh, some of them are things that Jesus said and what the Word says about money and our heart. We've had the wonderful opportunity to hear from Shanti Feldhahn and she and Jeff's new book, which is Thrive in Love and Money. And I hope you heard that podcast. If you haven't, go back and pick it up. If you can't afford to buy the book, I would encourage you to go to her website, the website for the title of the book, which is Thrive in Love and Money. Dot com, and you'll find there a five-minute assessment that I think would be very helpful to you and your husband, no matter what you're going through. And it might be the push to um, spend the money to buy the book. What you value is different than what your husband values. And Shanti and Jeff have, with very a great deal of candor, have talked about their own idiosyncrasies about finances, and they too were a part of what the research said with 77% of American couples who have a hard time talking about money. Do you have a hard time talking about money with your husband? My husband certainly and I had for many decades until we put it under uh, some control. Well, I start today with the concept that comes right out of Proverbs, which most of us know if we've been in the church at all. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding, but acknowledge him in all his ways and he will direct your path. Uh, Donna, what's that got to do with money? Well, what I think it has to do with money, it's the three things I want to talk to you today about are how to trust him, how much is enough, and the subset of that is contentment, and then give thanks, be grateful. So starting in that Proverbs passage, because he says to us that we are to trust him with all of our heart, all you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, body. Love the Lord your God with all. And then don't lean on your own understanding. And if there's one subject that I know we all have a different understanding about. One of the things I love about Shanti's book is that she acknowledges the fact that you probably married someone who thinks about money differently than you do. And it isn't really so much about the money, it's about the values that that person has. And I won't give away the book in its entirety. The second thing that came to my mind was about the very uh, conspicuous greed in America. It's conspicuous to me. Now, when I was a young girl, and you know, I'm not a young girl any longer, Money was something we didn't talk about. It was vulgar 
to ask someone, how much did you pay for your house? It was vulgar to say, hey, where did you buy those shoes? How much did they cost? It was vulgar to talk about those things. Today, it's the first thing that comes off our lips. We can get and access any information about the cost of anything. And then not only is what does it cost, but we often have the secondary thing about what a good deal I made on it. And then if you do this, you will have that. How many times have you heard that sort of conversation? Decisions about testing for COVID are based on the cost of the test. The cost of the test, the cost of how much it will cost us to do the research, the cost of how much it would take once the research is completed to get the vaccine in everyone's hands. Big pharmas are being called on the carpet because we are in a pandemic and these cost factors are on the table everywhere. What is God saying about money and our heart? What's the business of what's mine is mine and nobody else's? A dear friend of ours, Don Christensen, who has worked his entire career in helping especially pro athletes who suddenly come to a preponderance of money and don't know what to do with it. And they lean in on him to help them make good and wise decisions, but decisions that come from their heart and decisions that come from the clarity of the scripture. So what God says to us in the scriptures is quite revealing. In Deuteronomy chapter eight, God is remembering a time when there was prosperity. In verse 18 of that chapter, he says, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gave you power to get wealth so that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to you, your ancestors, as he is doing today. And then in Psalm 50, we get a glimpse into the reason for worship and the idea of what is an acceptable sacrifice. The last verse of that psalm reads, Those who bring thanksgiving as their sacrifice honor me. To those who do the right way, I will show the salvation of God. Thanksgiving and gratitude. And I've been saying to myself over and over in these last months, over and over and to others, you are still on the throne. Now that is a very old timey phrase, but I can still remember as a young woman that I had this picture. In those days, for me, God was rather distant and remote, but he was a long way away from me, that he was high up there uh, in a long, long, long way away. And he was big, and he was on a big chair seated far away from me. He was in charge, and his eagle eye had watch over everything. Now, none of those are very um, good pictures of God. My picture of God has certainly changed, but in those days, that was my picture. He was distant, he was remote, he was powerful, he was big, he was watching me. He was watching me because if I did something bad, and he saw me. Do you remember, any of you have any of those kinds of histories with your God? Well, my God isn't that God anymore. But that phrase, he is still on the throne.
has come over and over to me because it feels like everywhere we go, everything we hear, everything that's going on is diminishing the fact that God is still in charge. Don't you feel like a lot of reporters are in charge right now? Don't you feel like a lot of politicians are in charge right now? I find it in some ways of all the things we've had to stop. I know this is heretical, but in all the things we've had to stop doing, families have had to stop doing, children who haven't been able to graduate or go to school or pastors teach and preach or people go to church, all the things we've had to stop. Don't you think we should stop political advertisements for this season? Now, don't, don't jump on me too hard over that one. Don't send me too many emails. I'm not saying Republicans should stop or Democrats should stop, but every time I see another political ad, I think, wait a minute, wait a minute. Do you all remember what's going on? And now a lot of those political ads that came to us had already been done long before the pandemic started. And now we're getting fresh ones. And now the political ads are talking about what they'll do in this pandemic. So my repeated cry and reminder to myself and to others that he is still on the throne has helped me. It, it diffuses it for me. I think, no, no, they're not in charge. My bank account is not in charge. My best friend whose husband has no work is not in charge. God is still in charge. Now, money and scholars and how many times it's mentioned in the Bible varies. 800 times some say that the Bible speaks exactly of money or possessions. And some scholars say that it's 2,000 plus. I read 2,365 in one recent um, document that the Bible talks about greed and wealth and money and idolatry and serving, saving and, and not using it well. And I want you to know that it doesn't matter to me how many times God talks about it. It matters to me that God does talk about it. I also read that 15% of the Bible has something to do with the concept of money and wealth and who owns it and how we get it. Do you hear a lot about that? Who owns it and how we get it? We'll buy your ugly house. I, I'm, I'm just, uh, pause yourself. Uh, do what I have been doing myself and see how many times the first value point is money. How much it will cost, how much you can save, how much you can put in your pocket. In the Sermon on the Mount, which I turn to so often, so, so often, there are these marvelous verses in chapter 6 of Matthew, verses 19 through 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust consumes, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There your heart will be also. Read Luke chapter 12 uh, on the same subject of where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So uh, these minutes I have left with you, I want to talk about trusting him. It's difficult to trust God and money, and since money is the currency of our world, and certainly the centerpiece of America, how do I learn to trust him? 
how much is enough? You've heard us talk about that before and give thanks and be grateful. Trust him. That's not the world's best financial leader, is it? It's not the person who has the biggest bankroll. It, it's not Warren Buffett or Gates uh, who we're being asked to trust. We're being asked to trust God, not someone who has the biggest bank account. We've all heard that 10% give generously to the kingdom, buy a house, pay off the mortgage, save X percentage, be careful with your money. You'll end up with comfortable amount. And I've heard people say, I do not have money as my idol, and in the same breath speak of idols that they had purchased with that money. Money matters. Money matters, and it matters in America. And it's tied to, I see, a greed, a sense of more, a sense of determined to keep what you have, a sense to be careful. I remember going to the bank, and um, I, I do like buying things with cash. It's part of my ethnicity, I think. I have this Italian side and this Middle Eastern side, and we've had more than one story in our family through the decades of how much money we found in the pipe downstairs in the basement or in the shoe. Or don't get rid of anything till you've checked every single pocket. And I remember one relative, we kept, we kept a dish at the table and we we found every bit of money, and there would be a $100 bill, loved $100 bills, loved $50 bills, loved $20 bills, and there'd be a little $20 bill tucked in a book, and a $50 bill tucked in a bra in a drawer. And then we kept putting all that cash together in the bowl. It would have been long gone. And, and the one of $40,000 in the pipe and was a real story in my family. They found $40,000 in the house they sold. And they wouldn't have found it except that something happened to the furnace and the pipe had to be broken and out came $40,000 in hard, cold cash. So I went to the bank not long after the pandemic started being a topic of conversation. And I asked for $300. And the woman behind the counter said, I can only give you $200. And I said, I'm sorry, it's my bank account. And she said, we've had a run on cash. We've had a run on cash. Does that sound familiar? Have you watched the Christmas story where they've had a run on the bank? What's the name of that story? It's a Wonderful Life. And they've had a run on the bank. And there's no more cash in the vault. That's all there is because everyone wants to... Uh, they didn't have a run on the bank. They had a run on cash. We only keep so much cash in each bank. And she was someone I knew, and she said, yes, we've had people coming in asking for 10000 20000 5000 and they're taking the cash out to have at home because cash matters. Well, you can call whatever you want to, and you may call um, and listen to his voice saying, what is it you idolize? We are all called to share, and we're all called to give. And maybe God's calling you to give more than you'd like to give. I talked to a family in these last few months who decided that their retirement fund should be given away. I was so touched by their retirement fund that they had worked very hard to gather. But they said, we don't know that we're going to make it. We don't know. And I only could think of God is still on the throne. He's going to take care of them, I'm sure of it. And their retirement fund became an important ingredient in someone else's life.
So this is about your heart. And Psalm 51 says, Psalm 51 verse 6, that he knows the secrets of your heart and he wants you to understand them. He does it, he wants to shape your heart. We have all encountered um, someone on an intersection or a sidewalk or to your car when you stop at a stoplight and someone who comes up and asks for money. Now, I made a quick little list and I was thinking about that, of what you've been told about that person. You've been told that that person is a fraud. You've been told that that person probably makes more money than you do. You've been told you should always give that person something. You've been told, I have water and snacks in my car and I'll give it to you. Or you've been told, take them to a restaurant and feed them but don't give them cash because they might be using it for drugs. You, do you want me to go on? You've probably been told other things beyond that short list. But I think when it comes to money and your heart, you have to ask the question, what is God asking you to do? We've talked about listening to God on this show many times. We've talked about the art of listening and the sacred art of listening. But I'm asking you at this time of the pandemic, when finances are difficult, when money is short, when many people are out of work, what is God asking you to do? One, do you know his voice? And if you do, then do it. When I listen to God, he may be asking me I need, do I need to know if this person is a fraud? Or do I just need to give this person money? God knows my heart. And I am telling you, when it comes to people on this intersections or street, I don't have any rules. I don't. I don't have a, a pack in back that gives them a bottle of water. I don't have any rules. I've been asked to buy groceries for someone in front of a grocery store. And I have taken a person into a grocery store and bought them a cart full of food and paid for it. I do what God calls me to do in every situation. You trust someone else with your money. Do you know who your banker is, your investment broker, your parents' failure or success about money? Do you understand the dreams you have linked to money? Do you understand your spouse's dreams? One of the things that I encourage you to do in reading Shanti and Jeff's book is to understand how you can find out what your spouse thinks about money. So who do you trust? And I'm asking you first to find out when it comes to money, who do you trust? Do you trust your husband? Do you trust yourself? Do you trust what you've taught your children? In these next days, I'm going to talk to you about 10 things I think you should teach your children in learning to handle money. Don't let pride of accomplishment or pride in success, perceived or not, be the ruler of your heart and your possessions. We're not talking about success. We're not, we are talking about trusting God and acknowledging him and not leaning on your own understanding and not leaning on your own understanding. In the same passage in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, and I will never forget my coming to this. I mentioned it on air, I'm sure, because it was Many years ago, I was looking at this passage that is headed in most of your Bible. It says, do not worry, be not anxious, do not strive. And, and it said, do not worry. And then I read through it. And as I read through the verses, I thought, well, God has an outline. And his outline was, be not anxious, be not anxious, 
be not anxious. And I laughed out loud. I have a seminary education. I know you're supposed to put three points in a homiletical way and a poem and an introduction and a conclusion. You don't have the same three points. If anything, you have an alliteration. They all start with the same letter. But here is Jesus himself in this passage about worry and trusting him. His very own outline is do not worry, do not worry, do not worry. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Think about that when you're thinking that you haven't been to the store to buy a new shirt in the last three months. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into the barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you, by worrying at a single hour to the span of your life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things, and indeed your heavenly Father knows what you need. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things will happen to you. Strive first for the kingdom of God. Trust him. The second question or the second comment is, have you asked yourself the question, how much is enough? Now, how much is enough? Uh, we recently read on air a commencement speech from Elizabeth Elliot in 1973, and you will recall that one of her points was, you did not get here alone, dear commencing college students, and I agree. And I just went to the scriptures that I have called through my years of teaching and, and found these various places in scripture, what Jesus and God say to us about what we have and how we get it. In Psalm 144, he says, God gave you your skills. In Exodus 20, chapter 9, your job is a gift. Your job is a gift, whatever God has called you to. In Romans 13, 1 and 2, he says, your country has rules about your boss's business and how he treats you. In Colossians 1, 16 and 17, he says, the whole world is created by him and held in his hands. He is still on the throne, girls. He is still on the throne. The Proverbs that asks how much is enough, one of David Otto's five life questions. Do you have an answer? It is statistically um, certain that if you ask a person that with regard to money, they will tell you a figure. They've had a figure somewhere in their mind of how much money is enough. It's enough to have in the savings account. It's enough to earn annually. It's enough to get you through the... They have a number. But then we know statistically from the research about money, when you get to that money point, you don't quit. You keep going for $1 more, $1,000 more, $10,000 more. I read recently of a man who said his number was $70 million. 
I thought, well, that's very ambitious. When he got to $70 million, he said it wasn't enough. So I ask you, do you know how much is enough? You know, if we trust God who says to us that he will never, 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 never leave us, we would know how much is enough. Well, I just buried my 91-year-old father. He was brilliant. He held seven patents, energetic, and could see what most people could not see. But he was reckless. He did not trust God for that matter. He didn't trust anyone. And anyone who had ever known him would have said, he was never content. When or what is enough? Was a college degree enough? Was your first house enough? Was having the right car enough or the right neighborhood or the furnishings, the purses or shoes or foods or trips? When is enough enough? In 2019, the data about the American public regarding money indicated while we were the most prosperous large economy in the world, 2019, last year, a fra yet a large fraction of our country struggled to pay their monthly debts, much less the fact that the consumer debt has grown monthly for something like 29 months in a row, consumer debt. And now I can't imagine with the last six months of pandemic um, issues. 20, I'm, 20, I'm sure, will make all of these numbers worse. Striving and yearning and looking for more. What is it? When I think about what is it I'm always looking for more of, there are two things that come to my mind immediately. Books, 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 and books, and trips. And it isn't the size, it's the issue of wanting. The Bible calls this coveting. I said to my husband one day, after we had just come back from an amazing day with some friends of ours who have a great deal of money, we have a number of people in our circle who have planes. Can you imagine that they own their very own planes? And that day, we had been invited with five other people to fly just over to California early in the morning, attend a wedding and a luncheon for the wedding, and fly back that night. Nice way to go. And I said to David, I want a plane. He laughed and I, and I said, no, no, I don't want a plane because a plane is, I want a plane because it's very organized. And he laughed, he said, seriously, seriously. Now I wasn't coveting a plane, but what do you covet? And I want you to know that in our culture, coveting is so hard to not do. Everywhere you go, people aren't asking for planes, but they want the newest iPhone. They stand in line for it. And everywhere you see, there is more, 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 more. Remember the song about the dinosaur. How do you feed the dinosaur? More, 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 more. Advertisements everywhere. I was recently listening to a minister of the gospel on a podcast on my computer and it stopped. And I thought, what, what is it? And I saw come up on the screen, skip ads. And I thought, an ad in the middle of a sermon? I, that was a new one to me. But more than that, the ad was for a, 
and the ad was for another ministry, another 501c3 minister, ministry who needed to raise money to do a wonderful thing. I thought, there you have it. In every walk of life, we are being presented with something that we might want to covet. Advertisements everywhere. Years ago, I was surprised to find out that we had a thousand hits a day. I said that's not possible until I took a little scope around things and saw that the box said U-Haul and the purse said whatever and the shoes said Nike and everywhere I looked on the frame of your glasses was the maker of the glasses. Those are hits. I can't imagine how many hits or ads each of us encounter every day through advertisements that we see on our screen. So when is enough enough? The answer to that question is when you have peace and gratitude, when you are not coveting something, when you are content with what you have. I happen to have the rare privilege of living with a very contented man. Annoyingly so sometimes. Annoyingly so. He would be smiling if he were sitting here because we've had this conversation since we first met. And, and I remember seeing, saying to a friend of mine during our courting days, I don't think he's very ambitious. <laughs> remember who raised me? Well, I want you to know that that contentment speaks volumes to me in my life and how I live my life and what privileges I have in my life. Um, and I want you to also know that coveting is something that we all deal with in the still small places of our heart. So when I ask you to answer the question, when is enough enough, to acknowledge that you trust God and that he is still on the throne. But now I ask you to give thanks. Could you cultivate a habit of giving generously but with a grateful heart. Not just giving, giving generously, but with a grateful heart. I've been to a lot of fundraisers. I've hosted some of them for 501c3 organizations. They're tax-exempt, and usually they help Christ-centered works. And at both types of these events, whether they're tax-exempt, Christian-centered, or not, uh, I have seen men and women who have big bank accounts show off their resources, haven't you? I have to tell you that there are sometimes when they're both vying for a puppy and they're just raising the price and the crowd is so happy. They wave their paddle and it's another 500 and then it's another 1,000. Before you know it, the puppy, it costs $15,000. And everybody knows it's not the puppy, it's the money they're giving to the ministry. But it looks like they're having a great time showing off their resources, isn't it? And then the coup de coup is... Someone from the audience who gave the puppy says, I happen to have two puppies. Would you both like one for $15,000? I've been there, haven't you? And then what happens? They say yes, and now we've just raised $30,000. No matter what the cause is, giving can be all about the giver, the one who's actually holding the paddle. Or it can be about the giver, the one true God who gives us everything we have, who is in charge, who is on the throne. King David was a man who knew how to give generously and graciously. And if you want to read about a man whose heart was full of gratitude, 
Turn to First Chronicles chapter 2, verses 10 through 17. And you will find King David, who understood what it was to give thanks. To give thanks with a grateful heart. Are you using everything you have to share with others? Your time, your home, your contacts, your friends. You've been sharing your friends with us here at Modern Homemakers. It is my prayer that you will give generously and gratefully to whatever God calls you to give. Now just ask him, what shall I give and whom shall I give it to? I am confident that you will hear him. And then I would ask you to go out and do what he calls you to do. Don't be afraid for the future because God is still on the throne. We are Modern Homemakers and I am Donna Otto. We're so glad to have been with you today. Remember, the common begin and the uncommon finish. <clears throat> Go out and make it an uncommon day of trusting him.